Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, where we travel and sit down with different fishing guides and industry leaders to have real conversations about their backgrounds, fisheries, tactics, stories, and what they've learned along the way. In today's episode, we sit down with Al Keller of NOLA Guides and discuss the perks and challenges of guiding on the road, how minimalism has impacted the way he lives and guides, and tips on building up a client list to not only fill your calendar, but also specialize in something you're passionate about. Al has been guiding for roughly 25 years and currently splits his time between the 10,000 Islands area and Louisiana. In this podcast, you will see how intentional Al has been over the years with his time on the water and how a mystery mentor led to his lifelong career. We hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. He tried to eat it. He tried to eat it. Hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. He got him. He's on. Got uh, two butt caps off the rods, filled them with tequila. We took a shot and out we went. There, there ain't no getting into it after that. It's, you're, you're hooked. It's a bad habit. And all the time flips, the, he's standing there ready to go for a tarpon. Anytime I said, you talk so much, you're like a senator. Hey, Al, thanks for coming on the podcast and making some time for us today. Uh, if you don't mind, just give us the background about how you got into fishing and guiding and what you're doing today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Hunter. It's uh, great to meet you here at the ICAST show here in Orlando, uh, 2019. It looks like it's a good year so far. Um, a little bit of background for me. I've been guiding uh, for the past 24 years full-time. Uh, I started guiding in Naples, Florida, and fishing at 10,000 Islands, Everglades National Park area. And um, through that whole time frame, I've started to, since 2007, travel a little bit, okay. um, you know, leaving Florida and traveling different spots along the Gulf Coast and also into Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And so did you grow up in Naples or? No, I was born in Miami and uh, grew up, you know, fishing Tampa, Naples and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's been one of those things that's been, I mean, I've been fishing since, you know, I was a kid and everything, you know, you know, mostly I guess grew up bass fishing mm -hmm. in, uh, in Florida. And then, you know, best friend growing up, uh, you know, his dad got a boat, so we started fishing in Tampa Bay for saltwater, and he started taking us down to the 10,000 Islands at a Marco Island and stuff. So we started fishing down there, uh, catching snook and tarpon and redfish and stuff, and that's really what cued us into wanting to be, you know, it's like, this is awesome. You know, these yeah. saltwater fish pull so much harder than a freshwater bass. <laughs> so I was like, I was hooked after that. Was this like middle school, high school? Yeah, it was like middle school, you okay. know, like 13, 14 years old. You and know, so you start getting a saltwater bug. Yeah, yeah. And so you just had a friend who his dad got a boat and just invited you yeah, on. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any experience of fishing before that? Oh, or? yeah, yeah. No, my dad, you know, we lived in Miami. He did more offshore fishing stuff, you know, trolling and what have you. And, um, you know, I caught dolphin and stuff and snapper and stuff offshore when I was a kid and everything. But, um, you know, we moved from Tampa, from Miami up to Tampa. Um, my dad didn't really fish so much anymore. And so I was in a neighborhood. We had lakes in the neighborhood we lived on and stuff. And, you know, we just started bass fishing then. Yeah. And, um, and then as we got older, you know, like I said, we just started progressing into saltwater fishing Tampa Bay. And he would take us to, you know, Marco Island and stuff. And so it's just once I realized how big and powerful the fish are <laughs> in saltwater compared to freshwater, yeah. it was like no turning back. I yeah. hadn't, you know, really bass fished after that. And the varieties 
just really fun too. I mean, a lot of the guests that we've had so far started off brim fishing, bass fishing. It's, you know, it's cleaner. It's easier when you're young to, right. to do, you know, you don't have to make a whole day out of it, or it's just easy just to go down for an hour or two. Um, but for you, did you, you, did you get to do a little bit of deep sea when you were a kid or? No, I mean, that's one thing that I really do not, you know, mm-hmm. I have really that many skills with is deep sea fishing. Okay. You know, I mean, trolling weed lines and stuff like that you know i've caught plenty of fish on fly you know you do you know bonita you do some little small tuna mm-hmm. dolphin and stuff like that on fly small sailfish and stuff but any of that real deep dropping stuff or you know grouper digging and stuff really never did that mm-hmm. and and for you like when did you make the decision that you wanted to go into to guiding okay um i'll kind of give you the whole story of how i ended up getting into guiding which is kind of a you know very weird story but um I got out of the Navy in 1994 and moved to Naples because uh, my mom had been here since the early 80s. And um, so I was working at the Marco Island Executive Airport. And we're working, you know, three and a half days on, three and a half days off. So I was like, okay, I want to buy a skiff, you know, go fishing again. And um, there was an ad in the newspaper that said Dolphin Super Skiff for sale, $3,000. And I was like, Growing up in Miami, that is the boat. You know, if you read mm-hmm. the Florida Sportsman's when you were a kid, you always had the, you know, the dolphin boats in there. And it's like, that's what I wanted to have. And that was my first boat I ever had was a dolphin super skiff. Yeah. So it was a real old one. It was 1980, you okay. know, and so I bought it in 94. So it had been around, you know, beating around for a while, you know. Yeah. But it was great. It had a Yamaha 70 on it and stuff. And so, and I ended up buying that from, an, you know, at the time he was an older gentleman. You know, I was 24 at the time when I bought it. And he was probably in his you know, mid fifties, high fifties or so. And, um, to me that was old back then now, not so much, Yeah, <laughs> but any perspective, yeah, yeah. Perspe- I was twice as old as you were. Exactly. That's yeah. right. Um, so him and I became really good friends and we were fishing a lot. And, um, so over the course of, you know, fishing for a year and a half, he's like, you know, you ought to get your captain's license and, um, you know, and start fishing, you know, make as much as you fish, you got to make a little money as you fish. I was like, never thought about that you know and so you bought the boat from him and he became kind of a mentor in that season for you yeah exactly you know him and i just became you know he wasn't a guide or anything he was just a guy that loved to fish so, were you taking him out yeah so we were just we would we would <laughs> so just he go sells fishing you the day. boat you pay him and then he and then you take him yeah out. so we bought it he bought a bigger he bought <laughs> yeah. a bigger 18 foot flats boat that okay. was more comfortable you know mm-hmm. and um so we would mostly actually fish on his boat when we get went together because that's why he didn't want to fish on a little super skiff because it was so tippy but him and I just started fishing together all the time. And he's like, you know, you ought to get your license. And, um, you know, I fished out of a town called Goodland, which is right next to Marco Island. And that's still where I currently guide out of. And um, so long story short, he says, you know, I've always wanted to go get my captain's license as well. Mm-hmm. He says, we'll go together. So he paid for my sea schooling. Oh, cool. So him and I went back and forth to Fort Myers, studied and everything, took the, you know, um, whatever test you have to take, you know? And, um, so you kind of give a pause after you do your C schooling, you know, before you study for the whole Coast Guard exam. And, uh, he's like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go take it right. I'm going to study a little more. I'll, you go take it. So I went up to Fort Myers, passed it the first time, came back, you know, and was all happy and everything. So, and, um, did all my paperwork that you needed to do. And, um, come take test again. He's like, no, I'm going to study some more. I'm not going to take it. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, so this time, you know, I, you know, started trying to guide, you know, working in fly shops and, uh, 
doing anything you can to make money on the water at the time. You know, I ran airboats in Everglade City for a while. You know, so I did a bunch of different things. Between... Were you still working like three days on, three days off, or at um, time? for a little bit? Okay, but then after the, after that, I pretty much stopped and just figured out I'm going to make a living on the water this time. Okay, so and this guy that um, I kept bugging about going to take the test, and his name was Jeff, and I can never remember his last name, and um, so one time he was from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you know, he'd always have to go back for work. And one day he said, you know what, I'll, I got to go back to New Jersey for work and I'll see you when I get back. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, never, ever saw the guy again in my life. Wow. No clue. No clue. And I went out of the same marina that we always fished out of. I left until they tore it down in the, you know, the late 2000s. I never saw the guy again. I never know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. So the guy that got me into guiding, I have no idea whatever happened to him. It's really it, strange. It's an un- unsolved mystery. It's an unsolved at this mystery. Point, yeah. So and I was at a uh down in Naples last year. I was at a um uh, like a fishing in thing mm-hmm. they had in downtown Naples and there was a friend that I hadn't seen that ran airboats and he's, you know, he came over to me and he says, "Hey, remember that guy Jeff used to hang out with a lot? I just heard he passed away." Uh-huh. So I was like, well, that's kind of weird, you know? And so I've been guiding, you know, since 96, and this was last year, 2018. So I was like, I've never even seen him before, you know? And, yeah. and this guy, Robbie, was like, yeah, I just heard he passed away. So I had no idea wherever he went to, but he was like this person that got me into guiding. Yeah. And it was getting me into guiding was like, I don't even know how I got into guiding kind of a thing. It wasn't one of those things that I dreamed about every day. Oh, I got to be a fishing guide. I want to be a fishing guide. It's so cool to be a fishing guide. I was like, I just did it to do it, to make a little money. Yeah, but th- I mean, that's such a cool story to think about. You go to buy this skiff because you want to fish, and this guy ends up being a mentor to you and encouraging you to do what is now your career today. And there's a lot of people who go into guiding, and they're in it for, I don't know, 30 minutes to yeah. 30 days, or right. you know, whatever it is, 30 months, and yeah. then they quit. But right. here you are 26 years later. Or 24 years later. 24 years later, yeah. and it all was because of Jeff right. encouraging you after... See, when you first told me the story, I thought he had a super awesome setup, though, because it no. was like, hey, how about you buy the boat for me, and then you take me out fishing? Exactly. No, it was nothing like <laughs> no, that. No, no, it was like an actual, you know, this guy's like probably seeing somebody young, excited to enjoy the water and yeah. invest back, which which is really neat to think about somebody who who would make that type of investment. Right. And so what what for you when you first began guiding were some of like the big challenges that you that you did have to face 24 years ago? Well, you know— when you're young and you have senior guides at docks, the biggest challenge is getting to getting in with the senior guides. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how it is nowadays, you know, when new guides come to the docks and stuff like that, since I'm one of the old school ones now. But, you know, it was you really paid attention to the older guides that were there before you. You mm-hmm. respected them. And um, and I think that was the that was the key, because now the same guys that are guiding now i've been friends with since i was before a guide you know so i was always going to the dock before i got my license and they knew me and then i got my license and then they put their guard up just a little bit Mm -hmm. you know because you now become competition to them Mm -hmm. you know even though they've been guiding longer than i have but i become a competition just like in any other business so but then you know you give them the respect that they deserve and i think that 
has allowed me to become friends with them, continued, you know, for 24 years now or longer, 26 yeah. years or so, you know, but just by giving them that respect in the beginning, you got to earn it. Yeah. And then now what you're saying too, is that because you were willing to give them respect, not come in and act like, you know, everything, right. you know, and now you're saying that you have great relationships with these guys that maybe at first yeah. were maybe a little cold or just, I mean, how would you describe that, that attitude towards maybe a new guide? Is it, is it just kind of an unsure, maybe some doubt about the intentions of the guide or is this guy going to be a flash in the pan or. Right. And I think it was very different back then because there weren't new guides showing up on the block like they are now. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like it's very hip and very fun to be a fishing guide now. Mm -hmm. When I got my license, I don't know of anybody else who was getting a license at the time. Yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, we, we didn't have, in Goodland, we didn't have, you know, a new guide showing up every month. You know, it wasn't like all of a sudden there was a flood in the guides coming in and stuff like that. And um, so it was, I think, kind of different. So you really had to, you know, respect the other, other guides that were there. And, um, and I think maybe sometimes I think some of these newer guides that come into the business these days – um, don't have that same type of mentality or that type of attitude. You know, they think they, oh, I've been fishing here forever. I deserve respect, you know. Mm-hmm. No, you kind of have to earn that. Mm-hmm. So in my philosophy, yeah, you know, it, no matter what the business is, you know, it's, you, you know, there's always somebody that's doing the business before you. So just respect what they do. Don't just take from them. Learn from them. And if you are a new guide, the one thing that you can do, and I've, I've done it with new guides, is that, you know, if you would take them just under their wing, if they're, if they're not like assholes, you know, coming yeah. on like they're strong or something like that, you know, with an attitude. But if you're, if you're a nice person, and I've done this, it's just, you take them under my wing, you know, I don't mind showing you the right way to do things. Yeah. And I think that there's some guides out there that don't do that. And they end up, you know, pissed off at this other new guide, because he's doing things wrong. But I think because you know, after doing it, being a long-term guide, that if you show a new guide the right way to do things or stay, hey, you know what, just don't come into these spots. Mm-hmm. This is my spot, you know, and just be respectful to the new guide. It might be a little bit better, I think. Yeah. If 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 it was a perfect scenario, we like to do this on the show sometimes, and they give you a magic wand. Yeah. And you can kind of create the perfect relationship between an older group of guides and younger guides, is that what it is? Is that the, I mean, how could you flesh that out a little bit for me? Like what is the perfect relationship in your, in your mind for young guides and older guides to get along? Well, I think, I think it's a matter of, like I said, it's a total respect thing. Um, You know, we've taken the time to learn the water, you know, we've taken the time to learn how the fish move and we don't want somebody that comes in and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I've seen Al sitting on this point, you know, for the last three days. You know, I'm going to beat him to that spot now. Yeah. So you, you just can't really do that kind of stuff. But just, hey, you know what? Take your time. Just come to me, and I'll tell you what to do. I'll, yeah. I'll give you some other spots to go to, but just don't sit on my prime spot, you know? Okay. So I'm not going to try to fight you for it, but just be respectful of it. So, you, so like, you would tell, like, a younger guide, hey, go ahead and reach out to the older guides and, you know, say, hey, I, I, I'm out here. I'm guiding. I'm trying to learn some spots, like— and just try to start to develop a relationship so that you can talk with each other. Cause, right. Because it seems like there's there's sometimes just an issue of communication in general between groups of guides. Very true. Um, do you have any thoughts there on how that could be improved? I mean, if you it, let's say that right now, you know, young Al is starting off putting out the water, 
and maybe he's on Google Earth and he sees a point or he sees something that looks good, and yeah. then all of a sudden older Al shows up. How does how does that dialogue kind of communication work? Well, best? I think nowadays with the technology, like you said, Google Earth, we, we didn't have Google Earth back then. We had NOAA mm-hmm. charts. We didn't even have GPS when I started guiding. Mm-hmm. There was no maps. You, so you learned everything, mm-hmm. you know, by sitting in there with the tides and stuff like that. So, but learning and teaching is i think one of the one of the things that we don't do enough of as guides you mm-hmm. know to the younger generation of new guides that are coming in and and i think if we had a little more open communication as far as dialogue goes mm-hmm. i think that things could be resolved a lot easier so instead of like you know hey you know you know he's coming into my spot really close he's whatever it is you know if they're chumming or if they're whatever you know what i mean throwing live bait or I'm trying to fly fish a shoreline, you know, this guy's coming in on me, you know, it's like there needs to be a little more respect on the water and there's not that anymore. Yeah. It seems like. Is that what you think the the breakdown is, is just kind of a, a younger generation of guides that for the most part, not every guide's like that, but just, no. you just feel like there's the communication breakdown is also just a lack of respect. Yes. And then, and then with maybe the older guides, I mean, do you think that they're just not as interested in trying to reach out to them, or you think they're turned off by that? Or I, I think there's probably the, the some of the older guides probably just couldn't be bothered by that. Mm-hmm. You know, then I, I don't know that, but I'm just saying it, it's possible. You know, yeah. just what I've seen. And um, but we don't. There's only so many fishing spots out there. We don't want anybody in our spot. So you know, we kind of brush them off and yell at them, keep them away. Maybe that. Maybe they think that's the best way to not have him fish our spot is to be an asshole to him. You yeah. know, I'm not going to go near that guy because he's a jerk, you know, blah, 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 you know. But you, you may you may be stranded one day on the water, you know, and here comes this new guy, you know, and he's going to pass you by because he's like, I'm not going to stop and help that asshole because he yells at me all the time, you know. <laughs> but it might come back and bite yeah. you in the ass that way, yeah. you know. And you're so, just going to have to pull back to the ramp. Then you're going to pull back to the ramp by yourself, you know. But yeah. just try to be, you know just conscious of what you do on the water every day because it affects somebody. And that's, you know, that's the main thing I think. Yeah. And we've had multiple people just mention it comes down to respect and then a a podcast of somebody that I think has done it well. And and I mentioned this with him when I sat down with him was Jonathan Hamilton out of Homosassa. So they have a lot of guides who've been there for a very long time. And, um, you know, he, he's a part of the Homosassa guide association, but they call him stump. But, you know, he, he works hard. He respects people. And it's not like a, it's not like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Like, no. Oh, I'm the young guy. You no. Guys. But it's it's like, hey, I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to be as good as I possibly can be. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not going to pretend like you haven't been doing this for 20 years, 24 years, right. whatever. Some guides over 30 years. You right. Know? Um, with you, so when you first began guiding, you know, you are saying there weren't a lot of guys doing it. You guys didn't have GPS at the time. Um, but what were you targeting first? Like, how did you, was it shallow well, water? Yeah, it's all shallow water type stuff, you know? Um, you know, I, I, we pull, you know, I love to pull a boat. I love sight fishing. That's my main thing that I love to do more than anything. So that was what I wanted to do. You know, when I first started guiding, it was like, you know, okay, we're going to throw live bait, you know, cause that's what they want to do. And then you slowly just start developing yourself into a fly fishing guide, you know? more and more and you know if you're a good fly fisherman fly fishing guide i should say then the other fly fishermen will come and get to you you okay. know so i just love the shallow water sight fishing game and that's slowly what i broke myself into you know and so when i was got started guiding in 96 by year 2000 um you know i had my first ultra skinny water boat you know it was a 
when the Hell's Bays came out and the Dolphin Renegades came out and stuff. So we were in that ultra skinny mode then. And um, then there weren't a lot of people doing that. And mm-hmm. that's really what set me apart was having that specialized shallow water boat to get into those areas and be able to sight fish, you know, other than the standard 18, 19 foot, you know, flats boat couldn't do that back then. Yeah. So you get that boat going and nobody's really getting into that shallow water game yet. And all of a sudden you're just like, you got it to yourself. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about was developing the business into what you wanted it to be, you know? So you knew from the beginning that you liked the, the shallow water, mm-hmm. you knew that you liked the fly fishing right. and the sight fishing and the, and then eventually, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but beginning to move some in the seasons with, with fish, yeah. um, you know, but how could you talk us through a little bit about how you've developed your clientele and your business and built it into a kind of what you wanted to be? Because that's a right. lot of people when they first start, you know, and I've talked to a lot of guides, they're running scallop trips, and yeah. they're doing live bait for trout. And some people that's they love to do that. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But could you kind of give some some principles and some things that you did to to help develop the business into what what you wanted it to be, even if it's not flats fishing, maybe right. it, maybe it's, you know, sport fishing, bill fishing. Maybe you're really passionate about scalloping, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you really want to be the. I have been, yeah. I have not been homosassa scalloping in thirty years, yeah, <laughs> at least. Yeah. So, but um, I fi- you figured out what I wanted to do, you know. And it was a shallow water sight fishing. I was really good at that, you know. Um, I've got really really good eyesight for spotting fish, uh, reading the water and stuff. And like I said earlier in the podcast that, you know, when I first got my license, I did anything you could to make a dollar on the water. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I was running airboats, you know, doing any kind of trips you can, live bait trips, fly fishing trips, plug fishing trips. So you kind of just did things on the water that you could do to make money at the time. Didn't really matter what it was. We were trying to make a buck back then, you know. And um, so over time, with it it seems to me with, with fly fishermen that... Those guys talk, and they have a pretty hardcore, like, group, mm-hmm. you know. If you're a fly fisherman, you got a fly fishing club, you're a group, and, you know, if you went fly fishing with me in the Everglades and you had a great time, you went back and told everybody in mm-hmm. that fly fishing group, man, we caught snook, we caught redfish, we caught tarp, and this and that. And then all of a sudden, those guys are, like, calling me, hey, you just took my buddy out. I want to go fishing with you, too. Yeah. So, and I don't know if this still works the way it is, in, you know, with live bait fishing, but... You know, people that kind of go live bait fishing, they just call up and, hey, I'm just, I want to, you know, go out. I got three people, four people that want to go fishing, you know, catch some snook, catch some redfish or whatever. And, you know, yeah, you, maybe there'll be repeat customers or they're just down for vacation mm-hmm. or something. Hey, I'm on Marco Island. You know, I just want to go fishing. Okay. Well, that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. You know? I, and so, but, but, but when you began, you, you know, you, you're you saying did you kind of had, you did everything. Oh, and yeah. then you, you just tried to do really, really well with, when what you I got, liked, what you liked, and yeah. then just slowly through time. I mean, how long did that take for you to get to where that was predominantly the majority of your trips? Yeah, I mean, it, it took a while. Mm-hmm. It definitely does, you know. And so I just, you know, really started doing almost exclusive fly fishing trips for as much as I could, you know, mm-hmm. taking as many fly fishing trips because that's what I enjoyed doing. And um, and that's after a while, like I was saying, you know, the fly fishing community is pretty small and it's pretty tight, mm-hmm. and so it kind of develops into. You know, their friends fishing with you and their friends' friends want to fish with you and then word spreads around. And so the next thing you know, you know, I'm doing 70% fly fishing, a little bit of spin fishing, you know. And the next thing you know, it's like nowadays I have 99% fly fishermen. Mm-hmm. So, and I've got a few guys that plug cast. Yeah. 
And and there are guys that that I know that they do live bait and they really like doing you know a, a you know father son or groups and yeah. they, and but you know everybody kind of has something that they want to move towards whether it's you know I know that like my dad for instance he loves doing father son trips mm-hmm. and so you know there's every guide listening to this is going to be thinking you know I have like a, a direction I want to head and you're just yeah. saying you just you, you took your time and every chance you got an opportunity to do it you did it and you yeah. just did it to your best and over time word of mouth just kind of brought back more yeah. people and, and and my business is honestly it's built on word of mouth mm-hmm. so I didn't get my first website until 2012 okay so my business I mean I guide as much as I want to guide yeah there's not a day open in my calendar that I that I can't fill so and I've done that from word of mouth okay and that is honestly the best business that's out there to and, get and how did you so you know you know you knew you wanted to do skinny water you knew you wanted to do fly so you started to develop that out talk to me about how you decided to start traveling and moving around a little bit because that, yeah. that seems like that's a bit of a step for for somebody if that is something they want to do and then we'll yeah. talk some about the challenges and so so in the early 2000s, we had started up these redfish tournaments. So we had the IFA redfish tournaments. We had the uh, Redfish Cup Series. We had the FLW Series. So we all thought we were going to be the next best, you know, just like you see on bass fishing on TV. Yeah. We, we thought we were the best. We were hot shit back then, yeah. you know. We did, did you guys have jerseys? We had jerseys. We had wrapped trucks. We had wrapped boats. <laughs> so we'd pull into town thinking we were just so awesome, yeah. you know, back then. Which we cur- we kind of were in our you know in our little small world you know yeah. compared to bass you know but but it was a lot of fun and so you know we fished North Carolina Texas Louisiana Florida all different places and um, the one place that was the absolute coolest place to fish and you know it's like on everybody's radar nowadays is Louisiana yeah so you know I actually had the opportunity to fish Louisiana before Katrina hit and we lost a lot of you know, marshlands and stuff like that. So I got to see it, you know, before it was really taken over and stuff. And uh, so it's really a fun place to fish. And so when I started guiding there, it was 2007. We hadn't been back to Louisiana because of Hurricane Katrina, I think was in 05. And so we didn't fish in 06 because everything was getting rebuilt. And then in 07, we came back. And so at that point, I got my guide license for Louisiana in 07 and had a handful of clients that wanted to fish there. Mm-hmm. So they're like, hey, I want to go. So I booked them after my tournament was there. So I stayed another couple of weeks after my tournament, fished some trips, and the guys were like, this is insane. Because they're used to fishing redfish in Florida, mm-hmm. and it's a tif- completely different world you yeah, know, with yeah. red fishing. So then it became like, well, we want to catch big ones. So... I was like, well, we'll come back a little bit later. You know, this is like in mid, mid hot mm-hmm. summer. You know, there were big schools of big fish back then. And uh, so we uh, ended up booking like a month, you know, and then word got out. And then it ended up being two months and then ended up being a longer. And so I just slowly just developed that Louisiana thing since 2007. And now I spend, you know, part of my year in Florida chasing tarpon and the other part of the year in Louisiana chasing redfish. So I've just developed that, you know, since 2007, and now I've pretty much got the, you know, got it dialed into, you know, I fish the same clients tarpon fishing that I do red fishing a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So, and three years ago, because, you know, 
trying to figure out the logistics of, you know, moving things around, renting different houses and stuff. So I ended up getting a, a fifth wheel. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So I've got, a, I've, got a, yeah. I've got a big fifth wheel that, uh, you know, I, I'm able to move around. So mm-hmm. that's what I live in now is a, is a Jayco fifth wheel. And I tow that thing from, you know, Naples to, you know, and I used to stop in Carabelle and fish Carabelle for, mm-hmm. you know, couple of years there and then and then i worked my way to louisiana mm-hmm. by august and um so it was just it was like this is like a just a light bulb went off this how easy it is mm-hmm. to live in a fifth wheel it's i mean i love living in full I'm, but it doesn't seem like it'd be easy it's so it easy. seems small no so what i tell people i'm like okay well what do you do when you go home well you know sit on the couch, watch TV, sit in the air conditioning. I'm like, okay, well, I do the same thing. Yeah. I got a nice big couch, I got a nice big TV, and yeah. I got air conditioning on my fifth wheel. And you just have to, like, do you keep your fly tie stuff out on the table? Yeah, so and, there's, like, yeah. I got a dining room table in there, you know. I just, you know, and I've scaled things down to the fly tying, you know. I've only used certain patterns, you know, certain materials now. And mm-hmm. um, so I've streamlined that down. You know, I don't yeah. have containers of fly tying materials anymore. So I've got a, you know big old bag and have everything you know yeah you make and so you flies. just kind of try to be minimalistic and, yeah i mean yeah, you realize how much stuff you have in your life that you really honestly probably don't need mm-hmm. you know i need i need i need 12 fly rods yes i got mm-hmm. those in there i have 12 spinning rods yes i need those but how much other stuff do you have in your garage that just is just sitting there collecting dust that you really don't need you sure. know so i've kind of filed all that down and now i just live in a fifth wheel. Yeah. It's so awesome. How hard was that to do to file everything down though? Cause it does seem like most people, you know, I mean, some of these, if you travel, you might have a ton of stuff that you're hauling around. Plus you got yeah. a ton of stuff back home, but yeah. you know, I mean, some people, they, they wouldn't be able to do that cause they might have a few kids and you know, yeah. it gets tight. But I mean, like, I mean, I, my, my daughter's in university of Southern Mississippi, you know, yeah. she's a junior in college. So, and I have a house in Melbourne, you know, of course, but, um, I'm at that rarely, yeah. you know? And, um, so just living on the road, it's like, you know, there's, there's full-time people that, you know, work their entire life to be able to retire and travel in a fifth wheel. Sure. I'm doing it now, and I'm 40, you know, 48 years old, and I'm traveling in a fifth wheel, living in it. I'm, I'm you know, I could almost call myself retired. I'm enjoying that lifestyle. Yeah. It's and fun. I, I have a house, but I've tried to, my wife and I both try to be really minimalistic, and we yeah. don't have a ton of clothes. Like, right. I mean, my, my wife has probably, you could probably take all of my wife's clothes. This isn't an exaggeration. But you could probably take all her clothes and put them in like two regular size suitcases. That's and rare. She's got a cool term for it that she calls capsule. It's her capsule. Okay. Uh, but that's just the trendy word for you know. She basically just wants to have per season like maybe ten to twelve outfits that yeah. she just loves them. And right. It's not even about saving money. It's just about getting really good quality stuff that you really like. You yeah. Know? Rather than having twenty shirts that you don't even wear, you don't even like them. Right. You know, and so it does seem like there's, it's probably less stuff, less problems yeah. in some regard. And, and, I mean, and, and it saves you money too, you know, if you're thinking about it, you know, yeah. it's, it really does. It's, you know, I rent a spot at an RV resorts and stuff and, you know, it's not bad. Yeah. And you said your wife travels with you most yeah, of the time? Yeah, she or? can travel with me. So um, she has an internet-based company and so she can travel and hang out and which is really nice yeah. you know uh, it would be very difficult if if she had a nine to five job worked in an office or something like that we would never see each other yeah. you know with my lifestyle mm-hmm. so but um she has an internet-based company and travels around and loves to fish and so we go out and have a lot of fun traveling and fishing together yeah and one of the things that i've noticed in in just with this podcast and getting to know more captains is you know there's a lot of challenges that come with traveling mm-hmm. and then there's there's people who think man I don't like the guys who travel. You should just stick in your backyard. And then yeah. the guys who travel who, 
you know, they're focused on species and just talk to me some about how you try to navigate that if, if you even think about it, but how do you try to navigate some of the challenges that come with the relationships with other guides and just kind of all the controversy and drama that that may or may not. Well, I, I, I think nowadays you see a lot more controversy just because of social media. Okay. Before that, nobody knew somebody was coming to Louisiana and fishing. Mm-hmm. Because it was not on social media, you didn't see, you didn't know they were there. You yeah. know, unless you saw them at the boat ramp or you saw a truck there, you wouldn't know who it was. But now you see social media, you see thirty plus more guides now in Hopedale, Louisiana, posting, and that just kind of irritates the locals. Sure, sure. So, and uh, I think that just navigating the again, it comes down to respect. You mm-hmm. know, the, the locals, you know, not getting in their spots. So, but. I don't know. It just I just always kind of just kept to myself, to be honest yeah. with you. You know, I didn't get in their way, and I didn't, uh, you know, try to pursue them. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's just, you know, uh, the whole game of fishing, I just think, comes down to respect, and I think we don't have a lot of that anymore. Yeah, and you think social media is a part, a big part of that, or do you think it's <laughs> yes. the number of guides? No, I think, I think you know, honestly, I think social media is a, is a big part of a, a lot of the problems, mm-hmm. it, a lot of problems in this country, I think, yeah. you know? And I mean, I, I honestly, I have all the social media. I got the, the Facebook and the Instagram type stuff, you know? The Snapchat. Yeah, the, the Snapchat and stuff. But I mean, I don't post a lot of stuff um, because it's, I don't know, I just don't post a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, the clients that I have, a lot of them don't even have social media. So it doesn't even benefit, you know, benefit me to do that. Yeah. And I'm hearing a lot of guides say that. And social media is not really something that, you know, I I like to sit around and just harp about and just everybody sit around and complain. And, you know, but at the same time, it's a common thread that people bring it up on this show as a problem. And some people say necessary evil. And a lot of people still really value the word of mouth. And I've talked about that before. Just it it seems like a guy having a great day going back and telling every person he knew about Mm -hmm. the best day he's ever had on the water is better than you showing people that you caught a redfish on social media who already know you and follow you. But, you know, it's one of the things I think that can be an issue with social media. And you see this with like reality TV and stuff is that all of a sudden, you know, you see these pictures and you you can follow people and you see their stories on Instagram and stuff. And now you kind of think you know them. Right. And, and in your, but that's a person and you yeah. don't know them. No. And, but it's easy to like when it, it almost depersonalizes people. It almost makes them not real, if that makes sense. Like sure. they're characters, like there's yeah. some sort of, but it's like, no, these people have kids and wives and families. Yeah. And, you know, um, sometimes people are potlicking and they're, they're taking people's spots and right. social media, not social media, traveling, not traveling guide, not guide. That would, that would be a problem now. And then sometimes people might just happen to be, sitting on the same spot you know they might right. not have pot lake they might have just said look it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that there's a bunch of good oyster bars here or no you know, exactly. a good grass line or whatever yeah. but you know i think you're right like it, it, i think when you when you see so many other guides and so on social media mm-hmm. it's easy to not respect them because they almost don't seem like a person like when you sit down man to man with somebody right look them in the eye it's a lot harder to disrespect them yeah you know, but it's easy to di- disrespect them when you don't even actually know them. No, no, it's easy to pop off on social media. You know, a lot yeah. of people like to hide behind the computers these days, yeah. you know, instead of facing a man-to-man, you know. Yeah. Even though you see that guy at the boat ramp, you know, you, you'll never confront him yeah. <clears throat> there. But you'll you'll say something about social media. Yeah. So Keyboard. They call them keyboard warriors. I know? guess. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I'm not into all that. I just, but. Yeah, and that's, <clears throat> that's the thing with it is. 
you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of drama that comes from that, and I think it's not good for anybody. No, I not you know, and you know, I think people start living their lives through social media too much. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's a great way to keep in touch, I think, mm-hmm. you know, with with friends that, you know, if I'm in Louisiana, I can see what my friends are catching or if I talk to them, you know, it's like, oh, man, he caught a nice snook down there in Everglades yeah. on top water. That's awesome. You know, I love that, you know, but, you know, it's I think if you use it as one of those type of tools just to keep in touch with people. Yeah. But a lot of people start trying to live their lives through people. You know, mm-hmm. through this social media, they see, you know, or they, oh, he doesn't know how to catch fish. He never caught a snook that big in his life, yeah. you know, and it's like, he doesn't know what he's doing, you know. So I think a lot of the social media has brought a lot of angst in people, you know, yeah. in this world nowadays. Do you see a way forward with that? I mean, do you see how, how does, how does something actually get better, you know? I mean, I don't think social media is going anywhere. I mean, no. sometimes, sometimes certain forms of it go somewhere. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, you know, people are still going to have it. They want to, you know, whether they want to keep up with their friends. There's some good stuff in it, too, and not everybody yeah. uses it bad. But I'm just saying, like, what do you think is, you know, as somebody who you've been doing it for 24 years, you're before social media, but you're still, you know, you're still active in the community. I'm, try- I'm trying to figure out social media still, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like it is what it is, you know? Are you, you like, ac- you're accidentally, like, posting things on accident, and <laughs> you think you're texting your wife, and you're putting, <laughs> yeah. putting it on God, your Facebook I hope page? Not. I hope you not, know? you know? But yeah. just, you know, just there, there, there's ways to work a business, obviously, with social media, and some of the, I think the younger generation guides have figured out how to um, develop their business through social media. Mm-hmm. So I've never, I don't think I've ever booked any trips off of social media. Mm-hmm. You know, just word of mouth has always been, and I've always been booked a year plus in advance. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have to worry about social media trying to book trips. So I don't have to post every day to show people that I'm actually catching fish. Yeah. You know, whereas <clears throat> back then it was like, okay, we're in the yellow pages or we have a sign on the dock that says Captain Al Keller, you know, with a phone number and some yeah. rat cards, you know. I love that. Those. That, was, that was our advertising back then, you know, hoping somebody walks by, you know. And just picks up a rat card, you See, know? See, it's really good that I don't have more money because I have a friend who, uh, 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 I won't name him, but I have a friend who, he hates manatee tours. Yeah. And uh, I wanted so bad to make a fake, like, and actually get it put up, like, yeah. you know, like, his face, like, manatee tours. Right. Like, put it up there, man. <laughs> I want it all. But it's, it's, it's fortunate probably for everyone, myself included, I don't have that kind of money to, yeah. like, be making fake signs as a joke. But, That's pretty funny. You know, um, one of the things I was curious, too, is, you know, there's some logistics that go with traveling around and, and having clients in different places and mm-hmm. putting them up like are, have you picked up any tips and things that have helped you with the logistics of running a calendar a year out and I mean how, how do you do that well I mean most of the guys that I fish have been fishing for years mm-hmm. so they kind of already know the drill you know and um that if when they come in if say if I say we have somebody totally brand new that I've never fished before, and they want to come tarpon fishing with me in Marco Island. So if you want to know, like, the logistics of how they get to, you know, uh, Marco Island and how I set them up in a hotel and stuff like that. So you basically just need to find out the type of person they are, you know, find out whether they want to be on the beach if they're bringing their wife. They want to be on the beach, you know, so the wife has something to do when he's mm-hmm. out fishing every day. Or if he just, hey, I just need somewhere to crash, then you get this kind of hotel, you know. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with all the areas that I fish and able to – you know, guide my clients to, you know, whatever restaurants they like to eat, where they want to stay and stuff like that. And that's like all that. mostly through, like, phone calls. Somebody yeah. refers somebody, they pick you up, they call. You point them in a direction on housing. And then right. do you do, like, do you have, like, a newsletter or anything like that, or is it all kind of just When through? When I first started, um, I would send out uh, newsletters. And, um, you know, and that's how I would broadcast, you know, hey, I'm going to be in, you know, 
Louisiana during these months, or I'm going to go to Louisiana for, you know, three weeks. So yeah, in the very beginning, I would make up newsletters, send them out via email. And, you know, that was like, that was, that was pretty popular. Like, a, yeah. I don't know how to say it, like very, you know, savvy, that was savvy back then. Yeah. That was high tech back then, you know, yeah. sending out emails. And that was before like MailChimp was coming out. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Now MailChimp is so easy. Okay. I got a newsletter, type it up real quick and then send it to MailChimp. And MailChimp's goes, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it works really well. You can yeah, do exactly. it phone and everything. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, I was doing that before all that stuff kind of started. So, but, you know, I was just thinking that you were asking me about, you know, how you develop into fly fishing. But one of the things that I did when I was really young, and I didn't see a lot of other people doing this at the time, um, was every little town has their own fly fishing club. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I would go and contact all these different fly fishing clubs, whether it was in Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, and I would go give free presentations. Hmm. You know, I, I bought a slide projector. You know, I had digital projector then, you know, and I would just make up my own PowerPoint kind of a thing. And I would go out there and just give free presentations and let people know. You know, that was, and again, that was before websites and social media yeah. is, you know, just get out there and do those kind of things. So I spent like back then, I was going to say, in the, you know, in the early 2000s, it was you were spending, I think I spent like $3,500 on a digital projector. Wow. Back then, because before that, it was just a Kodiak carousel, you know, with some yeah. slide film. So, yeah. but you you were in that season, and that's that's something that makes a lot of sense. You were making an investment, yes, to build your business, so yep. that one day when you're in your fifties, right, yeah, you can sit here now, and you don't have to necessarily travel around and no. have a slideshow, no, and, and have to it. and have to work that hard to get clients, yeah. You know, so it's, it's a lot of things just is, is working that hard. Yeah. You know, you really had to put your time in back then to get clients. And um, but that was one of the secrets that I had was just really visiting all the fly shops, you know. And I did I did a few things, you know, different shows. I would have my own booth at, you know. And, yeah, getting your own booth at a fishing like show. Like at a fishing show. Yeah, just, you know, for, you know, Fort Myers fishing show or whatever, you know, or Naples fishing show. But, you know, but I would go to, I would travel. I would, you know, spend $500 on an airplane ticket, you know, yeah. go to wherever you know i'd be in canada i did shows in canada so but when you show people these type of fish that they've never seen it before they're like i want to do that so i would book trips you know and it would pay for it mm -hmm. of really going out there so you're you're saying like investing in your company yeah i did all that i think that's one of the challenges that the in the world now is is there's no shortage of opportunities for you to spend money to try to promote your business no. whether it's through social media ads or social media or it's kind of the phrase like, is the juice worth, worth the squeeze? Correct. There's yeah. a lot of different, you know, juices to be made out there. Right. And I think that, you know, it's it seems to me like almost overwhelming the options the, that you have. You know, I don't oh, meet anybody yeah. that, that, that downs word of mouth. I think some of the guys who are in fisheries that are a little bit more travel destinations, like a, you know, like that people are, whether you're near Orlando or you're right. in Miami or you're in Destin or you're in you know, just a city like that, Charleston, um, it, that might be a little bit different, a little right. bit different dynamic if you want to do that. But how, I mean, it seems like 500 bucks, you know, to me even now 
seems like a lot of money. Like, man, I sure hate to like swing and miss. Like, how did you make those decisions? Did you just risk it and yeah. go for it? Yeah, you just kind of go for it, you know? <laughs> That's really what There's it is. There's no secret sauce, I mean, of no. like r- trying to mediate or mitigate the, the risk and the, the cost spent. Because yeah. you could just pour money, I mean. You could pour money into wrong advertising all day long and never get any return on that. Yeah. So, but by, by slowly doing that and figuring out what works and, you know, where are my, most of my clients coming from? You know, they're coming from the Midwest, coming from Canada, so they just follow I-75 South. So I'm like, okay, well, where am I going to target? So I'm going to go to Ohio. I'm going to go to some fly fishing sh- you know, shows in Ohio, go to wherever, you know? Yeah. So I would concentrate in those areas because that's those people seem to like to come to Naples, Florida. Mm-hmm. So it was an easy, easy sell that way for me. Yeah, and those are the type of clients that you want. Correct. Versus newspaper clients or right. people who – Oh hey, I just happened to see your big sign on the marina. Or, right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so there's some intentionality there, and so I would go handpick them as well. Yeah. You know, so they would come to your booth and you'd talk to them. You know, you of course you'd be like, I really don't want to fish with that guy at all. You know, yeah. But then you get Did a you guy, make little notes or anything? yeah, you would get, get a guy. You know, back then we all you know we had business cards and stuff, and then you'd be like, oh yeah, this guy. You know, you talk about him. You write little notes on the back of the business card what he was and stuff like that, and you go back and email him. Hey, you know, I just see that's was, not an accident. That's a, that's good insight too, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, making meeting people that you want to be clients, and right. Making notes of it and following up with it. Yeah, you know. So then you say, hey man, it was a pleasure meeting you at the show. Blah blah blah. You know, hey, you know, I've got a couple of these days available if you want to go fishing. You know, and. You know, there you th- go. There you go. I, I you know, I once heard a, a podcast with Tim Ferriss and um, Jamie Foxx, of all people. Mm-hmm. And I just never really thought much about Jamie Foxx as far as, like, I always thought he was talented. I mean, good actor, good singer, yeah. funny guy, you know. And I listened to this interview, and it was, like, probably the best interview I've ever heard, period. And he was talking about when he first began as a stand-up comedian, yeah. he would do these little shows. And then people would come up to him after. Yeah. And they would say, hey, man, I loved your show. It was, that was the funniest thing or whatever. He said, hey, man, give me your number, and I'll page you about my next show. Yeah. And then he said he had a shoebox filled with hundreds of cards of people. Yeah. This is before social media. And right. he would actually sit down and page everybody and yeah. let them know. Well, now what happened was that when people would have him come do stand-up comedy, guess what? A bunch of people would show up because he sat down and paged them all. Yeah. Now And then he, there's a bunch of other stuff in that podcast kind of like that. Right. That's not an accident. Right. I mean, that's intentionality. Yeah. And that was one of the things I was interested in is, you know, whether somebody wants to travel or not and their opinions about traveling, everybody wants to build a business a certain direction. And you're saying that you were willing to spend some money and take some risk. Exactly. But then also that you were willing to try to do what you could to handpick your clients. Right. Versus clients just happening to see your sign and picking you. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. So you kind of get what you, you know, and that's kind of what you want to do in your business you want to have a really good clientele list and you develop that over time you know and were there other things too like something that I know that my dad's very serious about is because he wants a certain caliber client mm-hmm. and he's not necessarily he's not by any means all fly fishing but because he wants a certain client yeah he wants to have a certain quality gear right because certain quality clients expect certain quality gear were there sure. things like that decisions along the way that you made to try to build that clientele up um I think so yeah you know and um you know, I was, you know, back in the day, it was, I was Orvis endorsed mm-hmm. and, um, Orvis was a really big player in the game of fly fishing. So yeah. having that Orvis endorsement was really important, you know, growing that business. So, because everybody recognized how did that you, name. Did you just reach out to them? I worked for a fly shop that had a, that was Orvis endorsed. Okay. So, and, uh, worked with the fly shop back okay. then and, uh, you know, and grew it after that. So yeah. having the relationships in the business. And obviously, the gear, trying to have, like, I know that you have. Yeah, you try to have the best gear you can, you yeah. know. Um, Did you start guiding on the dolphin, or? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a little sucker. Yeah. The Jeff. <laughs> exactly. Did you name it Jeff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. the bl- black dolphin. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I've moved around. I've had a few other boats and stuff like that. You know, I've had Action Craft Flats boats. And, um, you know, and, and you know, today I run a Hell's Bay Marquesa. And mm-hmm. um, I have a great relationship uh, with with Chris and Wendy at the, at the you know, at Hell's Bay there. And uh, they're fabulous people. Yeah. And everybody that works at Hell's Bay really is uh, geared towards, you know, that shallow water mentality of, you know, we want to conserve the water. We want to do things good. You know, we want to make you know, the, the ocean, a better place, you know, that we mm-hmm. all work out of, you know? So I, I think i I fit in really well with that, with that boat company. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. And, and I got a fish on a Marquesa with Scott Burgess out of, um, out of the panhandle area and it's a nice boat. I mean, it rides nice. It's yeah. a, it's, it's a bigger boat. It's a lot yeah. bigger than your little dolphin that yeah, you exactly. started in. Right. But for you, you're fishing the 10,000 islands and you're fishing Louisiana. Could you, I'm I fishing mean, some big water. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll sit on a boat for hours with yeah. certain tarpon clients and they're like we'll sit there and not even talk for an hour you know just yeah. it's nice and quiet and peaceful so i'm not a big talker as it is so yeah. but um <laughs> i forget what i was talking about you're about to about. say you fish in big water oh yeah so the house bay uh marquesa allows me to fish the areas kind of the, the big water that I normally fish because in tarpon fishing, we tend to, we, you know, a lot of times we're fishing big oceans, you know, big bays and rough water. So that Marquesa really does handle it well. I can anchor up and, you know, and, you know, not take them over the bow quite as bad when I'm anchored up and stuff. So it's a really versatile boat, but still it's quiet. It's easy to pull. You know, people don't think of Marquesa as that easy to pull, but I pull it every single day. You know, it's a great boat. And then also taking it to Louisiana, Louisiana's you know, you're fishing, you know, Gulf of Mexico, you're fishing near coastal and rough water. You know, I generally never fish anything less than three feet deep. So I don't really worry about the draft. It's more about having a nice, comfortable ride for my clients. Mm-hmm. So good speed, good range and easy to pull. And, you know, that's really what it is. It comes down to the, the client being comfortable in the boat. And that's the Marquesa. Yeah. Do you mind if we transition into some fun rapid fire questions? As yeah, we... if you got some questions, I'll try to answer them the best I can. I always have some fun questions, okay. so we'll have some we'll have oh, some goodness. fun with it. I'm scared. I'm really scared now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing weird to okay. start with. All never. right, uh, no. Um, so you had mentioned that y- you you have good eyesight, mm-hmm. and do you, were there things that you did to develop your eyesight, or things that you think have helped it, or do you think that's just something that you're born with? You got to be born with being able to spot fish. Mm-hmm. You know, really, I mean, I can, I, I, I just have a knack. Even yeah. my friends tell me I have a knack for being able to spot fish better than anybody else. And that's, I think, just natural. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to differentiate between, you know, a snook in the shadows, that, and that snook may be just a little bit shade darker. Yeah. Being able to differentiate that besides, that other than just glancing over it, mm-hmm. you know. So when I'm, when I'm sight fishing, say, a mangrove shoreline, I'm, my eyes are constantly moving back and forth like a tennis match, you know, side to side, in and out. So I'm, I may look at one stretch of a little shoreline. I may glance over that thing like for, you know, it seems like eternity, but I'll, I'll watch that one spot for a lot. You know, every little bottom piece, you know, a little oyster on the bottom, a little stick, you know, I notice everything. So, and I think that's what's, what's really helped me and progressed, uh, you know, into being a really good sight fishing guide. Yeah, no, no like secret tips or anything like that. No, don't eat more carrots. Don't eat more Adderall. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. It doesn't help. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, another thing, what is the biggest challenge from going from 10,000 Island to 
Louisiana and vice versa? Like when you are making a shift in your seasons, what are the, some of the, the biggest challenges? challenge is just the logistics. Um, you know, I, I tow my fifth wheel with my truck and, um, and then either getting my boat out there or sometimes I'll take my boat out there ahead of time, you know, and then I'll come back and get my fifth wheel. Or if my wife's available, if she's not busy, then mm-hmm. I'll have her tow the boat while I'm towing the fifth wheel and we go caravan. So you, don't dri- you don't drive it over there? It's not that comfortable? No, no. <laughs> a little mini skiff challenge. Exactly. I don't yeah. do any mini skiff challenge. But, you know, I honestly, I thought about doing that this year is going from, I didn't have time, maybe next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I might fish my way back next year okay. after I leave. For uh, fun? Just you? Just for fun. For me, yes. Just okay. go and fish my way from Naples to Fort Myers to Sarasota Do to you like Tampa. fishing solo? I mean, yeah, is that, yeah, yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'll fish with friends and stuff like yeah. that, you know. But, um, but yeah, and just and just work my way and just fish. I mean, I've I've fished all those spots before in the mm-hmm. past. So just go there and maybe find a little hotel on the water or something like that. You know, crash, get up the next day, fill up the boat, go fishing some more, and just mm-hmm. you work your way down all the way through. Yeah, oh. and you. So my next uh, kind of transitions into another question I had. So yeah. you talked about. You, you're you're as, as booked as you want to be, yes. you know. Um, but you know, people have different different ideas about how busy they want to be. I mm-hmm. mean, for you, ideally, what, what's a you know, how much off time do you enjoy? Um, I, I schedule my off time. You know, I mean, I literally I work seven days a week for months and months and months, and I don't take any days off unless mm-hmm. it's a bad storm, unless it's downpouring rain and thunderstorm. I don't take a day off. So, and that does kind of put a strain on the relationships, you know, yeah. with as much as I work. But I figure if I work as hard as I can, then I take, you know, I'll take month off. I won't even work for a month. I don't even yeah. care about fishing for a month. You know, I don't even want to fish. I don't even want to talk about fish. Yeah. You know, I don't even want to talk about tarpon fishing because I just got through tarpon fishing for four months straight, you know, <laughs> kind of one of those kind of <laughs> things. And I just want to go on vacation for, you know, and I usually take, you know, some time off. What, what do you like to do there? I know people who, like, once again, yeah, Jonathan so I, Hamilton, he likes to go off and he, he does actually trout fish, some, mm-hmm. but he likes to go off to the mountains. Yeah, that's kind of de- what de- I do, you know, so... I would, I, you know, I host clients as well, you know, on different trips. So I used to go to Alaska. You know, I did that for the last two years, taking clients to Alaska. Um, so that's how you rest. That's how I rest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but it's peaceful. By you working. Know? Yeah, no, and, I and, get but it. the the clients that are going with me, I enjoy spending time with them. You know, it's fun. You yeah. know, we're out there catching fish and stuff like that. So this year, I'm going to go. We're going to go out and take a trip out west. We're going to go, you know, southern Colorado, work our way, and you know, I'm going to visit some clientele along the way and fish with them, trout fishing and stuff, and all the way to Montana, and then work our way back. See, that seems like some logistics there, though. You know, I mean, just trying to d- just pick some spots and. Let well, your I mean, know, hey, I does mean, anyone want to fish with me in Denver or whatever? Well, I'm not guiding or anything. I'm just going. That's my vacation. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm just going to go straight vacation. You know, that's uh, usually what I do in July. Okay, you know? I thought you were saying you were going to meet clients. Uh, I was like, man, it seems well, like no, a I lot have of clients there. I have yeah. clients that live, you know, Southern Colorado, yeah, yeah. Denver, Boulder. And so you're Boulder. saying like you just fish with them for fun? Yeah, in just their go out there and have, yeah, because they want to okay. show me. They want to, sh- you know, a lot of clientele have always asked me, hey, you know, why don't you come out and check out where I fish? You know, so I do it every once in a while. So do you like the freshwater fishing? Um. To a to an extent, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't like the nymph fishing. I don't like the you know dragging a bobber with a nymph on it and stuff like yeah. that's kind of really boring to me. You know, I'd rather sight fish. You know, dry fly or I like throwing streamers um, or top water. You know, mm-hmm. big hopper patterns and stuff like that. So I did my first nymph fishing this past year. I mean, we did some dry fly, but we didn't have a hatch going on. Yeah, and it was fun to me to learn. Like I didn't know how to do it. I knew how to dry fly, but right. I didn't know how to nymph fish. Nymph. And it was kind of fun to learn it, yeah. but it's definitely a lot more fun to see that fish come up and crash exactly. a, a yeah. fly. And, and it, it's kind of, 
I think when you think about fly fishing, it's like this is when, when I'm fly fishing in, in the mountains, which doesn't happen very often, and I'm by no means an expert in that. It is really neat to like, I mean, there's, you can think of no other way that you could trick that fish to think that there's a little mayfly, yeah. you know, smaller than you can actually barely, I, can, I can't can even barely see it. See it you yeah, know? exactly. And, and how keen in these fish are on that, you know? Right. And so it is a really neat thing versus like saltwater fly fishing, which, you know, it's just, it's just a different thing. You oh, know, it's completely different. different. Yeah. Um, it's fun, but it's, you know, it's almost like a necessity to catch them up in the, the mountains. And it's right. just like, Hey, how can we make catching these things more hard in saltwater? Yeah. Let's fly fish. Exactly. You know? That's right. Um, and obviously you can, there's some advantages, but it's mostly disadvantages. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not that easy for sure. Have you ever, if, if, so if you weren't a, a guide, what, what would you be? Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, I I do l- like the outdoor market. So I, I like marketing. I like being around with people, talking to people and stuff like that, you know, in, in the business environment. So, you know, I thought about that, you know, working in the outdoor marketing departments and stuff like that mm-hmm. for companies. Or I'd just go back to school and be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those two are very similar things. Exactly. Yeah. Be, yeah. I don't know. You kind of have like a baseball coach look. I didn't know. Maybe so, you were into sports or anything. No, no. Me and sports, I don't ever, you it, know. What, what's something that you're good at that most people don't know? Oh not relating gosh. to fishing. I have no idea. Painting? No. <laughs> <laughs> Only my fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really, I don't know. I don't really... You have no other hobbies, really? I don't think so. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of weird, but I don't think I have any other hobbies that I'm passionate about to, that I do other than I literally all I do is work. A little bit of law on the side. Yeah, I, I work some law on the side. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. No. Well, okay. So you said you like to, at the end of the day, after a day of water, what's, what's an ideal night look like, a wind down for you? Air conditioning, okay. darkness. And <laughs> some TV. <laughs> what what uh what, what TV what TV shows? Um, you know, you know, Housewives, The Bachelorette, you know, that kind of stuff. All <laughs> the good, upper. all the yeah, the fixer yeah. upper, yeah, you know, yeah, those guys mess up. The, you don't have that problem, but man, we don't have a TV at my house anymore. But oh, okay. those guys used to mess the curve, like on HGTV or whatever. Yeah. It's like. You know, this lady's husband built the whole chiplap wall, and yeah. you're like, I can't even freaking change the doorknob. No, no sometimes, I can't even. Know? Yeah, you know, that's yeah, I can't even put yeah. a you know a, a nail in the wall straight. You know, kind yeah. of a guy. I'm not yeah. that kind of guy. So, but no, I mean, I just like to honestly, I watch a lot of news and see what happens in the world and okay. stuff like that. You know, because a lot of that stuff does affect you know us on the water with clientele. You know, and a lot of our clientele are, are very wealthy. You know, and they watch that stuff every yeah. day, and so you know, it affects us. You know, to a certain point. You know, and environment and you know working and you know i just like that kind of stuff so where's your favorite place let's remove Ten Thousand island yeah let's remove louisiana yeah poof they're out of the equation here what's your favorite place to fish outside of those two panama the country City. of panama the country of panama <laughs> the country well, tell, tell me about i love it. i love i mean I, I went to panama the first time uh, a few years ago uh with my wife and uh, i absolutely fell in love with that country you know, the, the, the fishing was unbelievable, you know, and uh, just it's it's kind of like not really grown. It, it's grown up, you know, the city itself, Panama, but mm-hmm. you get out to the outsides skirts and it's really small and it's quaint and it's quiet. It's, you know, it's kind of nice, really, mm-hmm. you know, it, you kind of get away from the American style of living, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you're at those kind of places. So but if I could retire, I'd probably retire somewhere in Panama or something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
Um, or, so, or in Alaska where there's nobody. Yeah. So one of the two. So th- that's a good transition. What, what's the, for you, like, how do, how do you see it long-term when you talk about retirement? Like, it, it, you know, that's an interesting thing with guides trying to figure that out. I mean, yeah. Do you mind sharing some of your mentality behind that? No, I mean, it's, that? it's, I've got, I'll have a, I'll have a used boat and a bunch of used fishing rods for sale. That's my, that's my 401k. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, the dolphin. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a used boat and some used, you know, spots and stuff like that. You know, if you want to, if you're used motor home. Yeah, exactly. Used fifth wheel and so i'll just sell it all and do it but you know that it really is it's um it's tough to uh because being a guide you don't really have like a normal business plan Mm -hmm. you know and you really have to be conscious of that because yeah i mean i've been doing it now for 24 years i keep myself in fairly good shape to be able to do this and push and pull every day for you know months on end but there does come a time that uh i think it's going to have to end. You can't do it anymore. Sure. But I have friends that, you know, uh, one of my, you know, great friends, Greg Arnold, you know, in Louisiana, he's 70 years old. He's got no problem getting up on polling platform and polling every day. Yeah. You know, he's just, you know, just got to do it every day, you know. And, um, you know, I look at like Steve Huff, he just retired, you know, well-known fly fishing guide. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of one of those guys that I looked up to as a, as, you know, when I was a young guide and, you know, a young angler and stuff, you know, you always knew who Steve, Steve Huff was back yeah. then, you know, and, uh, but he did it for 50 years. So, well, I've got, you know, I'm halfway there. Yeah. No <laughs> so, foreseeable future w- no. with that. Just, I mean, obviously trying to be wise with your money. But, you gotta be. Yeah. 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 You gotta be, you know, make, make smart choices because you, you, you make a lot of money being a fishing guide in a very short term, but there's going to be days that's going to be raining. There's going to be a week that's raining. There's going to be, you know, something happens and, you know, a motor breaks, you might need a new motor. So you really do have to be smart with your money. Mm-hmm. So you just can't, you know, all of a sudden, hey, you know, I made, you know, whatever you make a daily rate, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I'm rich, man. Let's go party. Let's go drinking, you know. That might have been like the mentality when you were 24 and 25. But now you're like, well, I need to save some money, yeah. you know. So you really do have to think about that kind of stuff and, uh, and, you know, be smart about it because it does rain and it, things break and, you yeah. know, you got to have money in, in back to repair it, you know? So even if you got a deal on a motor, you know, from, you know, a company and they're saying, Oh yeah, I'll get you one, but you know what? It's going to be a week and a half or it's going to be a month before mm-hmm. I get you a motor. Um, I can't do that. So I've got to shell out $8,000 and buy a brand new motor tomorrow and hang it yeah. because if not, I can't be without a boat for a month. Yeah. So and there there are things that happen too, like Jordan Todd, we we saw him on the way over here, but you know, that's they had a hurricane come yeah, through. And exactly. These types of things happen. There's it was really challenging for yeah. guides and there were a lot of companies and people that pitched in. It was really cool to see yeah. that. But and their fishery is doing great now. But you know, it's that you gotta be able to save up some for that rainy day for oh, that's, that's definitely w- without good, a doubt. Definitely good advice. Yeah. This this was uh given to me by a listener, but I think it's fun is what stuff do you keep on your boat that you can share? Um, I, I, again, I'm very minimalistic on everything that I have. I mean, I keep all the safety gear in my boat. Um, I keep snacks like, uh, you know, dried fruit and stuff like that. It's one of the things I like to eat on a boat. Um, is that and, your favorite snack? Yeah. That's so, a, I'm going to add that question. Yeah. What's your favorite snack? Yeah. What's your favorite snack? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Like dried fruits. What like, type of fruit? Yeah. Like, like raisins, cranberries and stuff like okay. that, you know? Um, no, I'm not really a candy type person, you know, but, um, 
And then my tackle, you know, I always, I always get kidded that I always have – I mean, here's my flies. I, you can put all the flies that I have and I guide with in one hand. Mm-hmm. And I got I got a string of 40-pound mono and maybe some 60-pound, you know, and that's all I have. Yeah, so that's, minimalism. I, that's all I guided. You know, I don't have, you know, three or four fly boxes with, oh, this is my topwater fly box. This is my streamer box. This is my tarpon box. This is my redfish box. I'm like – What about your nymphs? Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make three flies this week, and you know I'm gonna use them all week. Yeah, <laughs> so minimalism. I I do. I really have a lot of uh, you know minimalism type stuff, and I know what the fish eat, so I don't need to have 15 different colors. I know what after so many years, I know this tarpon. He's gonna eat this fly. Mm-hmm. If he sees it, he's gonna eat it. I don't need to change. I have 15 different types of patterns. Mm-hmm. Redfish in Louisiana. Yeah, there's three different colors. Like, you know, if the water's clear, if the water's dark, you know, you have three different colors that you use. Same thing mm-hmm. with tarpon. So same, th- you know, it doesn't really matter. And in with tarpon and redfish, the leader itself, you know, I don't use IGFA anything. I just run straight 40 to 60. And, you know, it's a, no. <laughs> it's, it's, I got the homeboy leader, you know. What, what, not, what knot do you use? Uh, most of the time I use a blood knot to okay. connect them. Um you know, it's 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 not the strongest out there, but it's never really failed me, and it's yeah. it's pretty strong. So I like that one. My currently my favorite snack is peanut M and M's. Oh. Like, but you got to keep them cold. Well, see, you, you're a lot younger than I am. The, your metabolism can <laughs> deal with the peanut M and M's. I get ravenous on the boat, though. I, it's I gain a pound just thinking about the you know M and M's. Yeah, me and my buddy were we were once going out on a deep sea trip with a guy, and uh, we got on the boat. And we're both like in our early twenties at this point. You yeah, know, and we were we were on the boat a kind of deckhand, but right. we were both down there like. Hey, what's for lunch? You know, and this old guy's name was Cecil. He goes, "Y'all boys come out here to fish, or y'all come out here to have a damn picnic? <laughs> yeah, hey, y'all come out here to picnic." You uh-huh. know? And, uh huh. And but now I get ravenous. So, is there any other places that minimalism comes out in your guiding? I mean, it's it just really I, I I kind of scaled everything back to where I know exactly what what to expect you know mm-hmm. on any given day and where the fish are i mean i could be gone from the ten thousand islands for a whole year come back and the spots that i fish always have fish yeah so i don't i don't need so much tackle and so much gear you know to you know and, and it's what's funny is we're sitting at a tackle show, show right now and there's you know thousands of different types of lures variations out there. Yes. thousands of variations of frogs exactly Topwater right. frogs. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Topwater baits, whatever. So you, so you just have your dried fruit snacks, your handful of flies, yeah. your leader material, a couple rods. That's it. That's it. That is it. Nothing else interesting. No. I don't carry anything else interesting. I mean, besides, you know, maybe a, a, mon- a white monster energy drink coming okay. in. There you go. That's I've drank those before. That's my, you know, get me back in drink. You not coffee? Do you drink coffee in the morning? Yeah, or? iced coffee in the morning is my okay. favorite. Yeah, so because it's way too hot. To do drink. you make your own iced coffee? I do. Okay. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, you go to Publix and <laughs> you get you get the concentrated Publix organic coffee. Okay. Throw that in there. Put a bunch of water in it and then put a, a gallon yeah. jug of it in the refrigerator and yeah. Make that every morning. I, I bought this thing one time to do that, to like make your own, where you put like a whole bag in and it sits in this yeah. bucket and then you yeah. drain it and this whole thing. And yeah. How's that turn com- out? It was fine. Yeah. I, I, I love <laughs> coffee. I'm notoriously, I do really love coffee. Yeah. But I, just, I, love like, I honestly drink it all. Like I drink Circle K coffee and oh. I, I it's, uh you know, can I taste the difference? Yeah. But I like it all. You just, you know? yeah. I mean, but yeah. So, well, if people want to follow you, how can they, how can they keep up with what you're doing? 
I don't want anybody to follow me. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, <laughs> follow you straight to your <laughs> <Yeah>. spots. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, my website, if they do want to look at a website, is nolaguides.com. It's mm-hmm. N-O-L-A-G-U-I-D-E-S.com. Um, my Instagram is nolaguides as well, and Facebook is Al Keller. Okay. So, and uh, my social media is private, so if they do want to follow me, they can just, you know, send a request. So, I just keep it that way <laughs> because there's too many crazy people out there. <laughs> I think not, you're not the first I, person to say that. Not that not that I don't like, you know, Russian women sending me friend requests, you know, but <laughs> it Some, gets to a point, you know, you're getting 20 uh, yeah. of those a day. It's Man, like, come I'm on. popular. All these young Russian women <laughs> yeah. really want to be my friend. Exactly. So I just leave it at, you know, yeah. if you want to be, if you're serious and you want to follow me, then you can okay. follow it, you know. Well, so. good. Well, thanks for, we'll make sure to include that in the blog post, but thanks for <laughs> giving us some time today and sitting down with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So it was right. a pleasure meeting you. All right. See you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Cabin's Collective. If you've made it this far in the podcast, chances are that you enjoyed it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please continue to promote it and spread the word. One of the best ways that you can help us is by leaving a review on iTunes so that we can continue to get in front of new listeners. Your support means a lot. Thank you for helping us continue this journey. This is the Cabin's Collective. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Captain's Collective podcast. Before we dive in, I just wanted to let you know about one of our sponsors, Nikon. Nikon is a trusted company when it comes to optics, and they make a wide range of products for the outdoors. From cameras to binoculars to hunting scopes, Nikon has earned a reputation for building great gear. What you might not know about Nikon is that Nikon engineers their products from the inside out and creates an optical system specific to the function of each product. And because Nikon is one of the few makers of optical glass, they have the unique advantage to specify the exact type of glass needed to optimize the performance of their product. For the water, I recommend the Ocean Pro series. They are powerful, fog resistant, feature a built-in compass display, and have a large exit pupil that makes holding steady in rough water easier. And like all Nikon products, they come with a lifetime guarantee. So make sure to check them out and give yourself the advantage. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.